of Performance Publishing Group, making a difference one story at a time. We'll be shining the light on successful founders, entrepreneurs, business owners, and leaders that are getting results and making a difference. We'll talk about how they built their businesses, are creating movements, and leveraging the power of authority in their own lives. Be sure to stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest. Let's get started. Hey everybody, Michelle Prince here, host of the Power of Authority Spotlight, where we shine the light on successful business owners, entrepreneurs, leaders, and founders, people that are doing great things. They've built big businesses and they're making a huge impact along the way. And our guest today is someone that you are going to learn so much from, and I'm excited to introduce you. But first, this episode is brought to you by Performance Publishing. Have you ever thought about writing a book? If not, you should consider it because your book is your business card and Performance Publishing has helped authors to write their book, market their book, launch their book, and so much more. So if you're thinking about it, go grab a free strategy call at performancepublishinggroup.com. That's performancepublishinggroup.com. All right, let me introduce you to Jason Mandel. He is a Wall Street insider, a private financial advisor to the ultra-wealthy families around the world. He has held senior positions at Cantor Fitzgerald, LPDE, Shaw and & Company, and the LaFranc organization. I hope I said that right, Jason. LaFranc. Uh, okay, thank close, you. Close enough. I thought it as I said it. I'm like, I think I just butchered that. That's all right. All good. Okay. Here's how we are. All right. Mandel has been the founder and chief executive officer of his own firm since 1999 and currently leads the Mandel family office. He has managed limited partnerships and sub-advised managed accounts for large hedge funds, banks, and other family offices. Mandel received a Bachelor of Arts degree from Brand Brandeis University. Brandeis. Yep. Brandeis University yep. and a Master of Science degree from Columbia University. And other than me butchering that entire bio, can we just welcome Jason to the All show? good. All good. Thanks so much, Michelle. I really appreciate you inviting me today. It's very kind of you. I am so excited. Well, for several reasons. One, we've gotten to know each other over the last several months. And I think that you have so much that you share with your clients already today that you've now put into a book called Demand Transparency that I really want the listeners to, we're going to dive into that here in just a second. Um, but also, this is just an opportunity to, uh, I, I want to learn from you as well. So I'm, I'm thrilled that you're here on the show. Fantastic. Well, you've done such an amazing job here in uh, getting this kind of from an idea into an actual book. And I'll just show the audience, this is the final product. It's incredible what you were able to do. Uh, Michelle, I'm, I'm thrilled. And thank you again for everything that you and your team uh, were able to accomplish uh, for us. Uh, we're, we're beyond ecstatic. So thanks well, again. Good. Well, you did the hard work. You actually had to write it and you had to live it so you knew what to say. So um, I, let's dive in because there's so much in the book and, and beyond that, that you know that you can provide the listeners. But the book is called Demand Transparency, Stop Wall Street Greed and Rising Taxes from Destroying Your Wealth. Talk about a, a great subtitle that really captures people's attention. But what is the overall present premise of the book? I'm now celebrating almost 30 years on Wall Street, and it you know it blows my mind how fast time has gone. But over those 30 years, I've been privileged to kind of have a, 
a view onto a lot of extraordinary events that have occurred in the financial markets. And I've had interactions with a lot of uh, different people and institutions uh, that have made the news. So I felt that it was kind of a time for me to share some of those stories um, and uh, and kind of the experiences and the reflections uh, on those experiences. And as uh, you and I were chatting right before we started, I'm about to celebrate my 50th birthday. And I kind of view this as the second half of my life in the second half of my career and uh, very excited to share this insight. I, I had some assignments previous to this where I was limited in what I could actually share with the public. The employers that I had asked me to sign non-disclosure arrangements where I was, these agreements limited what I was able to explain, even if they were my ideas and yeah. my products, I could not share them. And Financially, it benefited me to agree to those terms based on the compensation I, I received, frankly. Uh, but now I'm at a point where that's not as important. And what's more important to me is to sort of share these, no these bits of knowledge, these experience I've had, and allow other people to benefit from these strategies, not just the ultra wealthy people. There's a rewarding aspect when I help these people save money and then they're able to be more philanthropic. But there's an extraordinary feeling that I have when I can allow somebody or help allow them to retire earlier, to have peace of mind, to not experience the volatility that so many people have become accustomed to when working on their retirement plans. Uh, so, so many of these ideas, for whatever reason, are not mentioned by traditional financial advisors. And that's always bothered me. And now it's time for me to share these ideas with the broader public. Yeah. And I, that's what makes it so interesting, because we don't know what we don't know, because we are the general public. You know, our, our knowledge is so limited compared to what you know and what other folks in the industry know. But you mentioned in the book that this was uh, you're, you're outlining a more transparent paradigm shift for investors. What what do you mean by that? Like, is it is it really that far off from what we think? Unfortunately, I think it is. I mean, I'll give you a scenario. Um, did you know, Michelle, that you know you could have the upside of the stock market's performance, which we're all investing in stocks, hoping to have good performance. But did you know that there were solutions out there that would eliminate any potential for loss if you invested in a basket of stocks and you could enjoy the full upside of the stocks. Without the risk. Without any downside potential. The worst case is you'd be flat. You'd have a zero return. But imagine a scenario, the market's down 20%. Last year, actually, the market was down 23%, the S&P. Yeah. So our clients that were exposed to the S&P didn't lose a penny. They were flat because wow. they were able to have the upside of various indexes. Now, sometimes the upside is capped at a certain number. Okay. Sometimes it's not capped where they enjoy the full upside with no downside participation. So obviously we focus on the uncapped structures. Right. So it's interesting because you're obviously a super intelligent person. And frankly, when you say that you haven't seen it, it kind of, reinforces my belief that my structures, my strategies are a really something that the general public would benefit from. And it's a shame that more people don't know about it. I mean, I've heard stories of people that are delaying their retirement because of last year's performance. They were, you know, many people say, I've got to pull out 4% a year of my retirement account, but they can't do it now because they've had such a drawdown. Some people got nervous and they may have sold 
when the markets were weak. It's it's such a devastating scenario. So some of these strategies, which are available for everyone, I want to be clear. What I just described to you, you don't need to be a millionaire. You could put a thousand dollars into a product like I've just described. You don't need to be accredited. You don't need to be a qualified investor. All these different uh, asset levels. This is made for everybody. I mean, I don't understand why regular people would want to own stocks directionally and have that volatility when this is right there available for them. I always want to believe the best in people. So I want to believe it of the financial institutions. But what would keep them from sharing this? Like why when when we're investing, why isn't this information being brought up? Do they is it because they don't make as much money on those products or what do you think? Michelle, unfortunately, you nailed it right there. It is a product which there might be a one-time fee or a very reduced uh, fee over two or three years, but these products do not pay the same as if they charged you, let's say, 1% a year, like a lot of these asset managers charge. This is a, a product offered by a you know AAA financial institution, AA financial institution that's giving them a finder's fee if they place any money within these structures but they don't get the normal fees that they're accustomed to. And Mm -hmm. a lot of these businesses are predicated on consistent fee generation. Their Mm -hmm. businesses are valued based on this renewal of fees every year that they get by managing that consistency of managed assets. Mm -hmm. And these products don't really offer that. And I can imagine it it, it gets like, once you get pulled into all of that, it's really, it's hard to have perspective of what's really, what what you're offering to your clients, right? Um, it's just so interesting. And I love though, that you're coming from a different perspective, first of all, shaking things up a little bit, but let's go back a little bit farther though. So what, why are you so passionate about this now? Tell us about your, your background. You started in wall street, you've been there 30 years, but how did you even get into this in the first place? Sure. Well, I have to say something. I, I uh, was very blessed. I, um, my whole life, I was expecting to become actually a trust and estates attorney. So I always thought about taxes. That was my game plan. And uh, I, I completed university in three years instead of four, and I had a year to kill before law school. And that year I spent um, uh, on Wall Street, I, I wanted to see what it was like. Uh, my theory was I was going to be working with a lot of Wall Street people and I wanted to understand what their backgrounds were like. And I really fell in love uh, with the field and I ended up never going back for a law degree. Um, we're lucky enough to employ lawyers here at our multifamily office, but I myself, I married one though. So I kind of have a, an opportunity to experience my wife's a real estate attorney. Uh, but I, my, my background was such that, you know, I ended up going back for a master's uh, in marketing from Columbia, but I never got the law degree. But my view was I wanted to see what Wall Street was all about. So I started, I got a job offer at um, Cantor Fitzgerald in the, in the World Trade Center in the 1990s. So I have to say that, you know, I was not there 9-11. I had already left, but it was a very formative experience for me to lose so many coworkers to sort of have that moment where you recognize, you know, had I not been so entrepreneurial, I yeah. might have still been there. I was, you know, doing very well there. And, you know, it, it, it changed me as a person, frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I lost some of the natural fear that I think most of us have. And I and I'd worked after leaving Canner after a couple of years in the 90s, I'd worked for D. Shaw, a very large hedge fund. So I experienced that. And I worked for a family office, the LaFrac family. And they were very, very uh, an instrumental part of me going out on my own. I learned so much by seeing how an ultra wealthy family managed their wealth so different than the way average people would manage their wealth. And that's why I really felt that some of those strategies would be applicable to other clients. 
But, you know, being on Wall Street the way Wall Street is, I started to get other clients and those clients make demands. So most of my career has been focused on working with ultra wealthy individuals. And that's sort of why I wanted to write this book is that I wanted to be able to share some of these ideas and I wanted to make it uh, approachable for most people. And that's the, the impetus. And, you know, though most of my career was working with these ultra wealthy people, I've been very successful as of late to translate many of those same strategies and allow them to be uh, accessible to people. So, uh, you know, one example that I, you know, I think we, we, you know, may want to chat about is something that any of us could do. We, most of us have a desire to be philanthropic and the ultra wealthy. Yeah. The ultra wealthy do a tremendous amount, you know, and, and, and thankfully so um, obviously some more than others. The government has a program that will allow all of us to benefit if we choose to be charitable and leave money to a nonprofit organization. This is not just reserved for the rich. And we are all entitled to a deduction off our taxable income when we make a charitable charitable gift to a nonprofit organization. Mm -hmm. So working for these ultra wealthy families, I've been part of some extraordinary gifts. Uh, And I'd like to think that all of these wealthy people did it for just altruistic purposes. But sometimes <laughs> there was, yeah, there was the economic benefit as well. That tax deduction in giving a gift of an asset. And you know, some people asked me when the news came out that Donald Trump didn't pay taxes for so many years. Like, How did he do that? You understand taxes. And it's a very similar concept, which is if you donate to a nonprofit, you can take a deduction. And the donation values, well, I don't know if they were you know good or bad, but the values that he took were such that he didn't have to pay taxes for many years. And that lesson can go for all of us. So we have structures that we offer our clients, Michelle, in which they can elect to create an entity. That entity can be uh, funded with money. Those monies can then be gifted to a nonprofit. And that nonprofit would eventually receive those monies. But during the course of our clients' lives, they might be able to control some of it to help increase the value of it. So they don't actually physically deliver the capital to the charity. They can't take a full deduction. They get a restricted reduction because they haven't given the money physically. But the entity that they're managing is is owned, a majority, could be 98% owned by the charity. But the charity doesn't control it. They still maintain control. So they may own 2%, but they own all the voting rights to the entity. So again, sounds more complex than it is, but it really, it really is a simple structure in which you can be very philanthropic and you can still control some of those funds. And depending on how we structure it, have access to those funds through either a loan or a swap of assets. So you could take some of the cash back and swap in other assets that you may have, for example, like a life insurance policy. You've got to always be able to show the charity and the IRS that you can make good on your gift. You can't you know, be in a situation where you gift it and then take the money back and not have an ability to have the charity have that. So that's a, a good example, Michelle, of something that very few people outside of the ultra wealthy utilize, but it's something any of us can. It's not cost prohibitive. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And you, it, it's called a charitable LLC? Yes. Okay. Now, is there a particular, like a certain amount of money it has to go into it in order to establish it or... No, it's pretty flexible. I mean, there are some upfront costs. So it yeah. depends on the service providers that we engage, the law, law firms, and the accounting firms, mm-hmm. but it can be done at a relatively nominal fee. So yeah. we have, for example, right now, a doctor, um, a wonderfully philanthropic woman. Her kids are doing great. She's done great her whole career. 
She's entering maybe the last 20 some odd years of her career. And she said, I'd like to give back. And this was a way that she's able to do that. So she's able to use enough money to live her lifestyle, but the excess money she's able to donate to charities she cares about. And she's able to help direct how those charitable funds are invested. So that way down the road, there will be an enhanced gift. Even though she was able to get some of that deduction now, she's hoping to give an even bigger gift to the charities later. Wow. That's amazing. I, I love this. Okay. So I, I, I mean, selfishly, I'm asking a lot of these questions because uh, I want to know, but thank you for sharing all this. So some, what are some of the other issues that you help your, the, the people that come to you, what else are you helping them with? A lot of people are concerned about market volatility. They're concerned that they're not really understanding what their investment advisor is putting them into. They don't know. They may say, well, yeah, I got, I got to invest in stocks. But if I bring up to them the concept that stocks are a volatile asset, and if I make them aware that there could be, I mean, last year we experienced it, a 23% drawdown. I make them aware we could have a 40 or 50% drawdown. What would that do to their life plan? And when they hear that, sometimes people are in shock. And they say, well, there's no way the market could go down like that. And then we show them that historically there are collapses in markets. There's periods of stagnation. If you look at the Japanese stock market over the past 30 years, Mm -hmm. if you invested in the market, you would have had almost no performance over a 30-year period because the market went up and the market went down. But over those 30 years, you ended up with the same amount of money. So when, yeah, people don't realize that. So if we were to follow that path, I would argue people should invest in assets that don't have the downside potential, but capture all the upside moves in stock markets. And again, we talked a little bit about that, those insurance structures. And I, I love being able to explain that to people and really solve some of the fear that they have. They're going about their lives with this sense of fear. Well, what if tomorrow they're, God forbid, what if this you know, war in the Middle East escalates. What if the stock markets around the world really fall? What will that do to my family? How will I be able to provide my family what I need to provide them with? And these are things that if we look outside of what traditional Wall Street offers, mm-hmm. I think we have solutions that will alleviate all those concerns. Mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll just give you an example. And people have no idea this exists. There's, some, there's an asset class that's called asset-backed lending. When I describe it, I like to draw an analogy we can all relate to. If you, for some reason, needed money and you took your your watch on your wrist and you walked into any pawn shop in America and you said, I'd like to get some cash. Here's a fancy watch I have. They'll look at the watch and they'll basically give you maybe 20% of the value in cash. And they hope that in a month when you have to come back to pay that loan off, they hope you don't show up. Because yeah. if you don't show up, they keep your nice watch and, and they, they can sell either it. sell it, right? <laughs> sell it, or they can go to a wholesaler and sell it to a wholesale person who then would sell it to a jewelry store. So that's an asset back loan they're giving you. They're lending you $100, but your asset's worth $500. Okay. That, and and if, they, if you pay them back their, the $100 you borrow, you're going to give them a high rate of interest. You're going to pay, maybe they charge you 20% for the month or some high number. I don't know the exact numbers, but they charge you a lot of money for the right to borrow money. Now, if you do pay it back, they're fine. They made that interest rate. And if you don't pay it back, they take the collateral for your loan. It's almost not all that dissimilar to a bank when they lend money on a home, right? They give, they say, give me 20% down 
We're going to give you 80%. But if you somehow don't pay that mortgage payment, they, ha they have the right to take the house and sell it. Mm. Now, in this case, what some of the things that we do are asset back loans against property. That property could be real estate. It okay. might be uh, other assets. We happen to have a deep knowledge of insurance assets. So mm -hmm. we're able to lend against life insurance. We have a company called caretrust.life. And it's a platform that allows people to go and use their life insurance as an asset that they could borrow money against. And they could use that money to pay for long-term care, or they could use it to pay for expenses if they want to stay at their home as they're older in life. There's some really interesting usage cases that we've helped people that they didn't even realize that their life insurance could be used as a form of collateral for a loan. And in certain cases, the money can be repaid upon your mortality. So you can enjoy that money completely tax-free because a loan is not a taxable event. And when you pass, your family would receive the life insurance, but it would be less the loan liability if you borrowed money against right. them, which is fair for everybody. Yes, of course. Yes. And we're, a, we're actually a superior alternative. Right now, there is something called the life settlement market. And that's where if you wanted to sell your life insurance to an investor, Warren Buffett's actually one of the biggest investors in the space. Wow. Hathaway, yeah, they buy unwanted insurance. And my argument is if you do sell it, you might have a tax implication because you're selling property. Ooh. And instead of selling, we would lend against it. It's a more compelling and friendly scenario because if you sold your policy and God forbid you timed it poorly and you thought you're going to live to 100 and you live to 80 and you're 79, not exactly a good transaction because you deprived your family of something you paid your whole life for. Um, so we think what we do is much more fair. So if you borrow $100,000, you've got to pay interest on that, but you'll pay just on the 100. If you have a million dollar policy, your family will still be the beneficiary of that policy, which is more fair. If you sold it to Buffett and he uh, owns it and you died the next year, your family doesn't get anything. That's and right. That, that we felt was unfair. Okay, this is a game changer. And maybe maybe I'm just the only one out there who doesn't know about this, but this is huge. Can anyone with a policy do this or are yes. there really? Absolutely. Yeah. No, and we we happen to have a tremendous experience. I've been very involved in this space for many, many years and uh, I used to run an investment partnership for ultra wealthy investors who would our strategy was not to buy stocks or bonds. Mm -hmm. But we would actually lend money to people who wanted to buy large amounts of life insurance. And let's say it was a farmer who owned a thousand acres of land. The farmer may not have enough money to pay the premiums for the insurance, yes. but the net worth based on the value of his land and his business might be so much that if he passed or she passed, the IRS comes in and says, we want half. Give us half of this farm. And the only solution, except for selling half the farm, would be to would be, would be to finance a life insurance policy and then use the proceeds from the policy to pay the IRS tax bill. And that's a very creative way. And that's called insurance premium financing. And that's been a core part of my business. I use that as one of the important conversations to have with clients because some people think of insurance just in this very depressing way. Oh, when I die, there's money. Yes. But you know what? There's so much more to it. It could be used as collateral. It could be used to help you build your business. It could be used to give banks comfort um, you know, for working with you and growing your business. There's just limitless opportunities. Plus, it goes to pay the estate tax. So if you build a business, your family doesn't have to sell that business 
upon your demise. Your family can use the insurance money to pay any taxation due on the estate tax. And that's very helpful. I'm thinking of a personal example. I mean, this literally could change families' lives because we had a, a loved one who has passed and uh, they went through a tough time and, and they had life insurance, but couldn't afford the premium at the time. So they, they let it go. And <sighs> unfortunately, was, was tragically killed in an accident. And the, the spouse, there was no insurance for the spouse. Yeah, and so in that scenario, this would this type of insurance premium financing allow somebody to to take a loan or you know against- well, not the, the financing yes i mean they could borrow against it but in the scenario even we talked about that somebody who no longer can afford a policy they could actually sell it to an investor mm-hmm. instead of lapsing it insurance companies actually make most of their money on a concept called a lapse rate assumption pricing model mm-hmm. so if you buy insurance and you actually buy and hold it till your mortality, it actually has a very strong return of capital. It doesn't make any sense. If you look at it, you take, for example, a a person who's 50 years old, they could possibly buy a premium, let's say, for less than 1% a year. They're not going to probably live another 100 years. And it's really even cheaper. It might be half a percent a year, right? So over the course of their lifetime, they're, they're going to be very profitable if they hold it and look at it as a long-term alternative to a bond. But most people don't look at it that way. But the life settlement market is affecting the lapse rate assumptions because why would you lapse it if somebody would pay you a discount to the death benefit now? And you could monetize that while you're alive if you needed the money and couldn't afford insurance anymore. So even though I talk sometimes against life settlements in the sense that we do loans against it, even the concept, the industry is still better than the alternative, which is lapsing the policy. So I've met you, I know you, and I, I know the answer to this question, I believe. But, you know, people may be thinking, first of all, these things are amazing. That's why your book's called Demand Transparency. But but why are you so passionate? Because you easily could follow in the footsteps of so many others who are doing, you know, this business and and maybe a little greedy, maybe you know, we've all seen the movie or many of us have seen the movie <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street, yeah, which may have been exaggerated. Maybe it wasn't. But well, I, I actually had a run in with those people when I was very young. Would you believe I actually was? Yeah, I was in a. This is when I was 18 years old uh, and I'm now 50 a long time ago. But I was in a training class getting uh, some licenses and these guys were in the class. They were training to get the this is called the Series 7 license. And I have to tell you, they came in with the Ferraris and the Porsches and they were laughing at me saying, why do you want to work for these big traditional firms? You can make so much money. And something didn't seem right to me then. And I, you know, I wasn't comfortable with it. The amount of there was a lot of uh, drug use and and alcoholism and all those things. But but frankly, the way they described how they made money didn't seem appropriate. So I did. I did. I was literally in a classroom with these people right there. I, uh, I definitely had my my run and I could have, God forbid, had I been uh, a bit greedier, I think I could have said, well, screw my ethics. Let me go do that. Yeah. But uh, it wasn't the way that I was raised. And, uh, and, I'm, and I'm lucky that I've been able to make a good living. Uh, yeah. But one of the things that I want to do now is I want to share these insights and mm-hmm. I want to find a way of making these things accessible to every, all of us. Yeah. Um, you know, my dad uh, unfortunately passed away two years ago. Great man uh, was a school teacher. He never made a lot of money, of course. You know, he was never in that position. And I always felt bad that none of the products that I was working on I would ever be able to show him because he didn't fit the legal requirements. So I'm very against the government mandating based on net worth what mm-hmm. type of investment. 
I argue that some of the stuff that's limited to wealthy people is actually safer. So it should be accessible to people with less wealth. So I really think there needs to be a revamping of some of these regulations to allow everyone to have access to some of these lower volatility products, mm. products that are protected against massive swings. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I, I and I love that because I feel like, I mean, we don't know as the general public because we're not as well-versed in this. And so we, you know, it's just like with any business, right? You, you, you assume that you're being taken care of in a, in a fair, you know, that they're treating you the way you would treat them. But that's not always the case. So that's, again, hence why the book and why you're so passionate about this. And, and, and just to be fair, Michelle, I want to say, I think there's a lot of wonderful money managers that I've met. It's frankly just a lack of education or it's a lack of access to products and solutions. So, for example, you might have a, a, an advisor who works for one of these big wealth firms. I in no way want to say these are bad people. They're not. But their firm doesn't allow them to show these products. They're pro, they, you know, even people that you may know from the insurance industry, they work for insurance companies. They're employees. Mm. They're, they're literally legally responsible for, to their employer, not to the clients. Wow. I, on the other hand, am not an agent of any company. Mm -hmm. I'm an independent advisor where my legal responsibility is to my client, not to any insurance company or financial institution that I work with. I'm agnostic as to the financial institutions. I pick and choose the best products and solutions from the entire marketplace. And I actually pick from around the world. I don't limit myself to the United States. So one of the products that they don't normally have access to is something called private placement life insurance. And it says the word life insurance in it, but really what it is, is a vehicle. I call it my secret umbrella. And it's an umbrella that we place assets under, whereas an umbrella protects us from the rain. This mm -hmm. umbrella protects us from taxation because all life insurance inside of a policy, the cash value grows tax-free. So what I discovered many years ago was that if we wrapped investments like private equity, venture, real estate, it could be a collection of exotic cars. I have a client that has racehorses. I have a client with art. Any asset that could be owned by an LLC, a limited liability corporation, that asset could also be owned by an insurance company if you have the proper diversification. So one of my favorite strategies that we haven't yet talked about is the idea of wrapping someone's wealth within a life insurance policy. So this way, all the growth of the portfolio grows tax-free. It's almost like a supercharged IRA in oh, which you wow. can grow and you don't have to limit it to any certain amount of money. Many IRAs have caps you can put in. You can put an unlimited amount in and you experience all that growth without any taxation. And if you want to access your money, you would access it like you'd access any insurance policy cash value, it would mm. be through a policy loan. And those loans are not taxable. So that's another unique strategy that people yeah. just don't know anything about. I'm Which actually, one of the things we'll talk about, I have, I have an, another idea for a book on private placement life insurance. So it's another mm. you know, great opportunity. So, and I, I, at 1000% you need to do that because, and I know you can help these people, those who are listening, those that read your book, obviously they need to, to work with you. I'm curious if they, if you said that a lot of these 
advisors who who mean well, but their employer tells them they can't offer these. What if a client came and said and asked for something? Could they could they get it, or are there only certain people like yourself who can provide this type of? Well, I, I think you know that if uh, certain products, uh, a lot of these firms have felt pressure from people yeah. like myself and others who have said, "Hey, if a client wants it, you should be able to offer it." They make it difficult yeah. for the advisor to do it. So one way they make it difficult is they don't pay them, or they pay them a very small amount of money. So some companies might make it accessible. The other thing they do is they put requirements on net worth. So for example, I described for you this asset-backed lending strategy. Mm-hmm. Why isn't this strategy, which is lower risk, accessible to any client of these firms? From my experience and my interactions, they limit these types of all, what's perceived as an alternative investment. And they limit that to people with a net worth of $5 million. And for me, it makes no sense. Mm-hmm. So the answer is, Some firms are more progressive than others. They're willing to look at new emerging strategies. They're willing to look at things that may not pay them as much for the relationship, but some firms are unwilling to. And we think that needs to change. And I hope this book does a small part to educating the the, the general population to see that they should demand transparency. They should call their advisor and say, what are you actually charging me to manage money and equities? Could I go to Vanguard myself and pay 15 basis points or do I need to pay you 1% and are you putting me in an index fund that I pay another 1% because that slippage in fees over time is significant and it could mean literally years of additional work for people to have enough money to retire, which is a complete shame. Right. Which is exactly why you wrote this book, because people need to know, and, and you're the best person to, to tell it. And that's why I wanted you on the show, too, because I'm oh, sure people like me, I literally have taken two pages of notes um, because I just, yeah, there's obviously a lot more to learn on this. So how can people, I guarantee you're going to get a lot of people wanting to talk to you. So what's the best way to do that? How can people learn more about how they can work with you? Uh, we'll talk about the, how, the book as sure. well, of course. but. Well, I'm going to do something funny here, Michelle, and yes. I know it's crazy, but I am going to give you, everyone my phone number. They could text me. They could call me. I mean, this is my direct cell phone. There's no one else that picks up with me. So I have a team of people. If I'm swamped, I might pass the message on to somebody else. Uh, but frankly, they can reach directly to me and I will make sure that their questions are answered or they could set up a meeting with me. If they want to, uh, they can call me. My cell phone is area code 917, my old New York days. 917-603-2365. 917-603-2365. I answer all my own texts. So you could send me a text and we can set up a time to chat. Um, my email is Jason, J-A-S-O-N, at the Mandel Family Office. T-H-E-M-A-N-D-E-L-F-A-M-I-L-Y Office, O-F-F-I-C-E dot com. And they can email me and I actually have my calendar link right there. I'll email you back that link and they can set up a time for Zoom with me directly. No cost. This is my pleasure to do that for your listeners. I, I'd be happy to do that. And, and look, I'm the first person to say I can't help if someone asks me yeah. something and says, hey, you know, I, uh, I want to buy a new uh, exotic car. I don't do that, but you know, I can refer you to people I know. I happen to have some good relationships, but I'm happy to answer almost any question possible. And if I don't know it, I'm happy to turn them on to someone who does. 
which is why I love you, Jason. And and honestly, in all the podcast interviews I've done, nobody's given out their cell phone. <laughs> so that Happy says to. a lot about you. I, I do shut my phone off when I go to bed. So don't be offended <laughs> if between 11 and 6 a.m. you don't get a response. I do oh. need a little time to recharge. But yeah. uh, but I have a lot of energy. And, and we were chatting earlier, Michelle. I you know, I've had some health issues. I got my health back. I feel so excited about turning 50. I feel like this is a new, a brand new life for me, a second chance at life. And I really want to share this information with, with everybody that I can. It brings me a lot of happiness. You know, making money is wonderful and being compensated by these wealthy individuals has been wonderful. I've been able to do things that uh, I've been so blessed in what I've been able to do and provide my family with the lifestyle that I always dreamed I'd be able to provide uh, a family with. But the enjoyment, the personal satisfaction that I get from helping regular people mm-hmm. is so extraordinary to me that as much as it's great to make 2x or 3x what I would make by helping average people, I think the personal enjoyment at this stage in my life, uh, it allows me to really feel good about what I do. And, and, right. and it, yeah, it's, and, I'm, and I'm thrilled to do it. It's, it's, it's always just, I don't feel like I work, Michelle. I'm one of those lucky people who I am blessed to feel like I just come to the office and I help people with their problems. And that makes me feel great when I can help people solve those problems. I love that. And, and let's be clear, you, you could do it a different way, just like many others do, but you, you, you definitely have established your, your business yourself with authenticity and, and transparency. I, <laughs> no better word for that. So I thank you so much, Jason. Pleasure. The book is just coming out. And so you can learn more about the book at demandtransparency.com. Definitely, though, get in touch with Jason. I mean, what a wealth of information you are. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being on the show today. My pleasure. And keep up all your amazing work helping entrepreneurs like myself fulfill their dreams. Thank you for everything you do. Oh, thank you so much. I I can't even do a proper recap of this particular podcast, which I do try to do on every single show and give, you know, pointing out, but I have so many notes. I don't know which one I I, I should, where I should start, but definitely uh, this isn't just a plug for the book because we help with it, but get this book. There is so much information in here that I do truly believe will change people's lives for the better to help them to really live their best years with the, the money, the wealth and all the things that we want, but maybe in a little bit of a different way. So Uh, That's it for today's show. We will see you next time on the Power of Authority podcast. Bye, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to the Power of Authority Spotlight. If you are a successful founder, entrepreneur, business owner, or leader that's getting results and making a difference, and you'd like to be on this program, please visit performancepublishinggroup.com forward slash podcast to apply. That's performancepublishinggroup.com forward slash podcast. Also, if you got something out of this interview, please share this episode. Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag, the power of authority spotlight. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content, so make sure you don't miss any episodes by subscribing. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our websites, performancepublishinggroup.com or michelleprince.com. And follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.